Generally, what I've seen is that like when somebody tries something, like they start with psilocybin, then they realize that the psychedelic that they can work with, they're then open to potentially other compounds and finding the specific way in which that they can beneficially, you know, experience it. All right, guys, welcome to Mushroom Talk. I am your host, Alejandro. We are being greeted by the amazing Greg Kubin, who is the host of Business Trip, the GP at Psychedelic Medicine Syndicate. And he is right now really embracing reminders. I just wanted to bring that fun fact about him. And we'll talk a little bit about it. Greg, our relationship started on Twitter and now has evolved in many different facets, speaking about life, microdosing, engagement, psychedelics, business, entrepreneurship. Thank you so much for being here, brother. I really appreciate you because you are a wealth of knowledge. So I'm excited to have you here for our audience to learn from you, man. I'm excited to be here, grateful to be here, and uh, let's get into it. Bro, so tell me a little bit about this reminders thing. Like, What's going on in that world? I like to remind myself of of things that are important to me. And about a year ago, I started writing a little book that ha- each page has a specific reminder to myself. So for example, one page is about a reminder about following my own intuition. Another page is a reminder of gratitude. Another page mm-hmm. is uh, a reminder that sometimes the answer is outside of me and I need to go to others. So um, it's just like a little book that I keep and occasionally I'll like leaf through and find the reminder that I need on that given day. But what I realized is that the reminder, I I can't always, I'm not always ready to go to the book. The book isn't always handy. Uh, And speaking of hand, handy, uh, I started to occasionally write the reminders on my hands, uh, on my finger in particular. And so, for example, this is actually a reminder from yesterday that's a bit faded, but This reminder says, be me. And so when I read that, I'm like, okay, like, yes, I'm reminding myself to like, be myself. Don't be somebody for somebody else. So I've been thinking recently about like, what is, is there a way to move from just a writing on my finger to like maybe making a ring or some kind of, I don't know if it's jewelry or whatnot that like actually is that nice, gentle reminder to myself. So um, kind of thinking about making a few things for myself and you know. so why not a tattoo? Why not create a tattoo where you can have it on your finger or you can have it uh, the constant reminder? The reason I would not get a tattoo today, maybe that could change in the future, is because if I find that if I have the same reminder over and over and over and over and over again, it gets diluted and I prefer to kind of switch it up. And sometimes it's not, it, there's, there's, a, there's a multitude of reminders that are out there and and so, yeah, sometimes like with a tattoo, it's not just that one message, but there could be a different message that I need to hear. And so if I were to get a tattoo, it'd probably be removable. Awesome novelty. I love it. I uh-huh. love it. Keeping it fresh. In terms of keeping it fresh, man, you launched this podcast called Business Trip. It's uh, psychedelic entrepreneurship. What got you to start it? What was the curiosity like? And what has been some of your favorite episodes or the things that you've learned about the industry as a whole? Yeah. Uh, so I'm an entrepreneur, uh, and I started my first company years ago, seven years ago now. And I love the process of startups and starting up, and I find it to be super interesting when there's a problem to be solved. And I love founders who, you know, basically do what it takes to bring a new product or service or solution into the world. 
So that's always, that's been something over the last, you know, almost decade that I've been like very much interested in, in embodying and, and uh, working with founders. Uh, at the same time, um, I find that psychedelics and psychedelic medicine is another big area of interest of mine um, that I think can, you know, have tremendous therapeutic uh, application uh, and can be an amazing tool for introspection. Also, there's a place for just uh, betterment of one's life and, and, and recreational side of things. So I think that the psychedelics can, can really just, when used responsibly and with intention, I think are just like this phenomenal tool. And so, um, you know, over the last few years, there's just been like a tremendous amount of research that's demonstrating the efficacy of psychedelic medicine um, for healing. And so about a year and a half ago, I kind of started to see, look into the research deeper and kind of started to get the, the feeling, the pull, the intuitive pull that like, th there was, there, there was a, a movement building here, kind of like the third wave of psychedelic medicine, as some like to say. And one thing I've noticed about myself is I'm, I'm usually good at seeing things between nine months and three years before it happens. That's usually like the window of time of like, when I'm like, Hmm, this is happening. There's something interesting happening here. And so I was like, okay, I want to get involved in a deeper way. And one of my best friends, Matthias, uh, similar to me, has both the interest in entrepreneurship uh, and the interest in psychedelic medicine. And so we kind of put our heads together and we're like, all right, this is a space that we're that we think you can get really you know involved in, and we think that we can help this movement succeed. And so I've always liked interviewing people. I always love conversations, and I find interviewing great because often people. Each human being has like a wealth of knowledge and information within themselves that often needs to get pried out, right? It, we don't always just voluntarily share what our feelings and thoughts are on something. And I, I look at interviewing as a medium where you're kind of adding salt to a piece of food. Salt brings the flavor out to the people. And so the, the idea of doing a podcast about psychedelic entrepreneurship just felt right. It was like, all right, let's interview founders of companies and organizations within psychedelics that are bringing, you know, psychedelic medicine uh, to be the market, so to speak, to beyond just the fringes to our culture, our society. And, you know, it, it's just that each episode, we kind of we, we talk about the founding stories, uh, we talk about the new protocols that are being developed, the therapeutic uh, potential of psychedelic medicine, and really ranging from not just psilocybin, but ketamine, DMT, MDMA, uh, and novel compounds that are being developed that we don't even, you know, don't even exist yet. And the fact that like those will be coming to the world over the next decade is super interesting and exciting. I love that you're focused on psychedelics as a whole. And so from that perspective, what has been like your own journey with psychedelics? And when did you, when did that interest begin and what sparked it? What was that intuitive call? When was it? Yeah. Well, I would say my first experience was in college and with mushrooms and I had a, an ego dissolving experience, the, you know, I, and so what I mean by that is I, for the first time in my life was able to see myself from the third person was able to really view myself in a very objective way uh, and was able to kind of look at my own behaviors and actions and, and 
see kind of where I was lying to myself in various manifestations of my life. And also in that experience, it was, it was a bit mystical. What do you mean and by so, mystical? Mystical is in there was like, there was feelings around it. There was, there, there was something to the experience that I couldn't put words to, didn't feel like it was of this plane of this, like of the, of the human reality experience as was previously, I had previously experienced uh, the word that's often used is ineffable, ineffable being mm-hmm. like where uh, it, it's a, it's an experience where you don't have words for. So, yeah, so it was, it, it, so in college I had, a, I, I had a few of those types of experiences and frankly, I didn't really have a proper understanding of set and setting, which is really important to understand around like having the right mindset and being in the right setting. At that point in time, it was more, I would say, social and more experimental. And then there was this gap in my life over the, the next few years where I, I graduated college. I actually worked in banking. Uh, I worked in media. I, I, I went more, I would say, corporate and lost touch with the, that part of myself and just kind of part of the system, so to speak. Then I got into entrepreneurship, started my first company. And over, I would say <laughs> Burning Man was an interesting inflection point where- When I did you go to Burning? What was your first burn? 2015, 2016. And you know, being on the playa and being around uh, people who are very open-minded. How would yeah. you describe Burning Man for our listeners who haven't attended? So- I like to think of it as it's a city, imagine a city of 70,000 people that have, that come together for one week, building basically everything that encompasses that city from scratch. And then after that week, it's gone. So that's one kind of dimension of Burning Man. I would say another dimension of it is like, what's, all right, what's filling that city? Well, it's filled with a ton of art. Uh, it's filled with a lot of music. There's a lot of what are called sound camps. Uh, there are uh, similar to art. There's the art cars, which are you know these basically like floats that you'd find typically in a parade, but are each individually made by the community. Uh, there's no money being exchanged. It's it's also very active participation. There's you're not supposed to go to watch. You're supposed to go to be part of it, and you're it's radically inclusive. So you you know the idea is that there's no VIP. There's none of that crap. And so you know when you put all those pieces together, it's like this very every day on the playa will be one will be different in to every other day on the playa. Yeah, one of my, magical. you know, yeah. one of my, one of my favorite experiences was like walking down away like near where, my, where I was camping one year. And I looked down and this like remote control car drives up to my feet and I looked down and there's chips on it and there's guacamole <laughs> on it. And I'm just like, amazing and i'm looking around and like i have no idea who drove this up to me and i like bend down and i eat a chip and i'm just like waving grateful for whoever sent that to me so there's a lot of that like kind of weirdness and whimsy and like i love that stuff so it's really awesome so how was this a catalyst in your psychedelic experience or path well i mean i would say a few things one is like there, there are a lot of participants there who do psychedelics in various forms and so uh, had I would say more exposure in that way there, and I could see how it could be used in an environment that kind of had destigmatized it. 
Um, it wasn't, it's not something there that is, you know, yeah, it's like, because it's part of the culture, it feels like, okay, this is a, this is a place where one could do it without necessarily feeling like they are, you know, uh, being judged in, in their own use of it. Yeah. I would say that in, in particular, I would also say that like, you know, just like kind of moving along in the years beyond Burning Man. I started to really see and understand the, just the therapeutic potential. Like, I feel like it was around then that I, I started to understand that like, wait, psychedelics are not just to be used in a recreational setting with other people hanging out, but rather it can be its own really healing. It can be, they can be a tool used for healing when used individually and in an inward capacity. And I find that to be a pretty big paradigm shift to how in my own life and and I would say culturally how they were perceived. Like when I think about, for example, in the late sixties, let's say like psychedelic use was really social, right? And mm. it was like going to a festival and and doing it amongst others. Whereas over the last few years in particular, there's been this rise in the use of them where you are, you know, laying down, eye mask on, going inward. And so I think there's this like interesting shift happening between it being like social in nature to inward individualist in the, in nature. And I think that when that happens, like there's less distraction, frankly, and you can really work with your own trauma or uh, anxieties or other indications that people want to heal. And in terms of that healing of that desire to heal, what are some of the things that you are undertaking right now in your psychedelic medicine syndicate? How does that kind of connect? Help me connect those dots. Yeah. So after starting the podcast, we, as, as Matthias and I got deeper into the space and understanding, okay, here are the different modalities, here are different companies that are basically bringing psychedelic medicine uh, to the world. We, we met a amazing person named Dina, Dina Burkett-Bayeva, who had been investing in psychedelics for a few years and, or about a year and a half at that point. And so she really was like one of the first investors in this space. We kind of realized that our ethos was very much aligned. We saw kind of the world in a similar way. We saw that there, there was a way to invest in what we like to say is in the spirit of the medicine. And so what do you mean by that? Hard to put it's hard to put given an exact definition, because I feel like spirit and its very nature is like hard to define. So I think one component of it is not prioritizing, like when I think about spirit of the medicine as a, in the context of commercialization, it's not putting like the growth of a company ahead of the healing of an individual. I think that's really okay. important. I think the second component of it is ensuring that, you know, the idea of psychedelics aren't put on somebody, but rather an individual when they're ready, can step forward and raise their hand that it's something that they want to engage with and participate in. That's, I think, really important. And also part of, I would say, some like shamanic cultural like heritage. It, you know, you shouldn't like force it upon somebody. So in terms of investing, then let's get, let's go dive into yeah. this because it's really awesome. So I come to you, I'm a founder, right? I have this dope idea, have amazing things. I have the right protocols. I have the right scientists, right? Yep. Like, let's call it that way. And I come to you and I'm saying like, Hey, I want to, Greg, I'd love for you to invest in my company. What are the things you look for in the founder? Let's, let's talk about that from, from, yes. okay. from a founder a good perspective. That's a great question. So. I mean, first of all, like, what are, what are the reasons you're in it? Are you, are you in it for the long haul? Like that's number one. Um, and 
that's important because like with any startup, you know, this is not like a overnight thing here. This is most startups take seven to 10 years to like come to fruition. And so understanding like who the individual is and what their spirit is, you know, and understanding like, is this somebody who is, yeah, in it for the long period of time, I think is really critical. Um, I think another factor that we would consider is, does the founder have experience with the medicine? Um, and that's important often because... So, yeah, let's talk about that. Because often there's some founders actually out there who yep. are incredible scientists. They, they're chemists, organic chemistry. They know how to synthesize whatever it is, separate compounds. And yet they've never experienced it themselves. Yeah. What do you say to that? I would have a conversation uh, uh, trying to unpack as to why they maybe haven't had experience with it. I, I think it's important. I think it's important. I think it's as simple as that because... Um, is it a non-negotiable? Is it a deal killer? No, but what, what I would say is they can bring people onto their team who have experience. That's like my recommendation there. Like try to round out the team with people who can kind of speak to the experience because you know, to your, what you're getting at, like, it's one thing to have an understanding of the neuroscience and the chemistry and just like actually creating the compounds. And then it's another thing to be able to deeply empathize with your patient and your customer and the person who you're actually going to be making this thing for. And I think that there are limitations about that level of empathy if you don't have experience. And so therefore, to, to round out that empathy is to bring somebody onto the team who or an advisor or someone who mm -hmm. can like provide that perspective that way you can you know make sure that you're empathizing yeah so so we have long-term vision empathy what's the third thing that you look for in a founder when you're investing you know uh, another one would be their ability to evangelize and that manifests both in their ability to attract an amazing team and their ability to raise money uh, the reality is a lot of the companies in this space, uh, particularly ones that are taking more of like a pharmaceutical approach as in like they're take, they're developing a compound and they're taking it through clinical trials. It's really expensive. The capital required to take a drug or therapy through FDA is more than a hundred million dollars typically. And so you need somebody who can raise that money and somebody who can tell that story and somebody who people want to get behind. And like, you want to take an extreme example outside of psychedelics, like Elon Musk is like, he's, he's a character, but like the dude is a visionary who can evangelize and can bring top talent to the company and was able to kind of get a company like Tesla to where it is now. Uh, that's like an extreme example outside of the space. To yeah. your point on that, I always, when I look at my angel investments, the question I ask myself is always like, can this person start a cult? I mean, that's a valid question. Exactly. I mean, you could argue a company is a cult in, uh, in some ways. And, and don't forget, like, you know, the word culture has the word cult, cult in, it. in it. So if you're Ooh. creating company culture, you got to create a cult. You got to create, you got to, you got to, you got to, yeah, you got to pick and choose components <laughs> of the cult, let's say, without <laughs> going full on. Right. Don't drink the Kool-Aid that has the, the wrong stuff in it. You know, like, exactly. That's good. That's good. Brother, I'd love to get your opinion on from your business perspective, because I love I love that you were highlighting long term vision, empathy, cult like evangelism. 
Yep. Uh, I want to give one. I want to give a fourth attribute. That's let's important. go. Let's go. Rocket. Let's do it. Agility, speed, nimbleness. Mm. In you know startup world, that's just so critical, and that manifests yeah. in ways around like responsiveness. Uh, it manifests in ways around because w- when you think about it, like you need to be constantly iterating on your process. Sense of urgency is important. Yeah, exactly. And so that that sense really manifests in an important way. So I think that's that's a, if we were to add a fourth, that I would add that. All right. So. You have essentially highlighted, if anyone's listening and you guys want to participate in psychedelic uh, medicine uh, syndicate, you guys already have the playbook. Greg gave it to you. So just shout out to him. And I love that you have empathy there. Like, I think that's something that a lot of investors don't look for. Mm -hmm. Right. And I I just want to commend you on that because this is the first time I'm hearing that empathy. From that perspective, what do you say to the narrative that's happening now with all these psychedelic companies going public, especially in Canada, right? And this company who's patenting these concepts that are simple as like holding hands, soft furniture, set and setting, right? Like you were saying, like how important set and setting is. How do you feel about these companies that are taking on these challenges or these aspects of patents of something that's so delicate to the actual medicine itself. Yeah, it's complicated is the first, uh, my, my first response. Uh, there's parts of it that I don't like, uh, you know, I, the idea of patenting handholding. Yeah, that feels a bit of an, like an overextension. But the flip side of it is one thing about patents and the patent process is the typical process is a company will, or, or an individual who, whatever you're patenting, they'll typically initially go for a really broad patent portfolio. They'll, they'll really try to be broad in terms of what they're trying to patent. And then the patent process typically involves a negotiation with the patent office. And it's at that point that it kind of gets brought, pulled back and you ultimately agree on specific components of your actual, that ultimately becomes part of the patent. And so when I see something like a, a very broad patent claim, my initial intuition is like, okay, they're basically playing the game that their lawyers are telling them to play because that's how the game is played. And so it's one of these, you know, it's is one, intention it? important to you? Like, just like, even, even though the patent sure. may not be granted, right? Just the fact that they spent, you know, it's not, it's not cheap to file patents, right? Attorney no. fees, legal fees, patent fees, like there's a full process behind it. Yeah. What do you say to the intention of that? It's spot? not raising the vibrations. That's, how, that's what I would say. Yeah, man. I, I love your perspective on it. I know it's a delicate subject, especially as an investor, because you want to kind of capitalize on your return and protect the IP that's being developed. You know, protection is important. Moats are important in this in the marketplace. And I love I love that you mentioned vibrations. And this is something that you and I have spoken about in our conversations individually, the role of spirituality in psychedelics. What has been your journey around spirituality and how do you see spirituality playing a role in in the ecosystem as a whole well i i this has been an interesting year for me from a spiritual perspective because i've been just educating myself on different manifestations of spirituality i've been reading books i've been speaking to people i've thought about creating a podcast on this topic um because um it's fascinating to me i think i mean a, a friend recently had a really nice way of putting it where she said that spirituality is a ocean 
with many shores. And so there's, there's lots of different sort of paths to experiencing spirituality. And mm. so, you know, th- what's interesting as I'm kind of putting all the pieces together in some form, sometimes that manifests uh, through a near death experience where people have, uh, you know, basically feel like they're having an out of body experience and they're near some kind of light, some kind of higher being. And then they decide they're going to, not they decide, but like, yeah, they, they come back to their body with a sense of like, of um, intention, like, wow, I need to be focusing on very specific things in my life now that like only through that experience do they, do they get like the message from source, let's call it. Um, it seems like psychedelics is another sort of shore uh, where people can access a feeling of spirituality. You know, DMT, 5-MeO-DMT is called the God molecule. Lots mm-hmm. of people have the experience of sensing God in that experience. And at the same time, another shore, so to speak, are, and this is very fresh for me, but like one thing that I'm trying to understand better, which I find to be fascinating, is uh, just the idea of past lives and past life regression and people basically having this feeling of not this feeling, but like very specific memories um, of different lives that were 50 years back, hundreds of years back. And it's just like, it feels super woo. -woo Have you, have you explored your past lives? I, I have not explored my past lives, but I do have a, I do have a, uh, a friend who's a healer and she told me that I'm from another galaxy. In a past, what do you? Yeah, like how, how does that land for you, man? Because I, I know how important. I, I don't know. It kind. It, it kind. I didn't disagree when she said it. I was like, <laughs> you know, I was like, all right, that could make sense. And then I think what's super interesting about all this too is uh, I've been reading about shamanic culture and um, tr- shamanic traditions, and basically, they're the ethos among lots of different shamanic cultures kind of points to this idea that like our soul we have our soul and our experience on earth is where our we're basically uh embodying our physical bodies for like this temporary period of time and our goal is to basically align with our soul's purpose over this period of time and then after this period of time you basically go back into like the collective consciousness and then over uh, the next period, like after a certain period of time, you come back to another body and find it to be super interesting that lots of different cultures are experiencing this. And at the same yeah. time, what's interesting where culture is at, I don't know if you've seen the movie soul by Pixar, but like, yeah, that is, dude, that's spot on. Right. Yeah. So I'm, I'm like keeping my eye on this idea of like a uh, spiritual awakening happening because I'm hearing about this from lots of different sources. And, and so is, kind is, of like, are you getting these signals or like these? Yeah. Synchronous, like, synchronicity. Exactly. And so right, seeking you but, shall find, right. But, but you gotta be mindful about like sharing this too, because you share like this idea with the, with somebody who's not open to it or is less interested or, or hasn't sort of, you know, it's just not, not something that, that is on their radar. And like, it's like, Hmm. Okay, Greg. Interesting. Thanks. Yeah, exactly. and then, and then it just drops, you know, I love that because I learned from Tim Ferriss back in 2014. Actually, I don't remember 2014. Tim Ferriss had uh, the tools of Titans book. And there's a page where he talks about psychedelic experiences. And he says, the concept of holding on to the goal, right? Like when you have these incredible journeys, these manifestations, these moments where you feel like you are one with God, or you are God, or you are the universe or creator, whatever you want to call it, right? And you come back to earth, and they're so special, right? 
that sometimes you just want to share with individuals who can understand and reciprocate that that nurturing of that moment because so many times we come back and we share it with that person that's just at the water cooler in our office. Yeah. Like, Yo, dude, this is what happened. And they're like, yeah. All right, Greg. Cool. Right. Yep. And it kind of like diffuses a little bit of that joy or of that moment that you had. And I love that you speak to that. And so how do you feel like in your own experience that psychedelics bring divinity and spirituality or how does it enhance it? Like how has that psychedelics played a role in spirituality in your, in your world? Yeah, I mean, I would say it's made me more open to it all. It's made me uh, be open to... I, I, I've come to no conclusions. I think that's important. So mm. let's check back in in a year and see where <laughs> I'm at. But like, it's made me more open to the idea of multiple dimensions. It's made me open to the idea of source. It's made me open to... It's made me understand just like the original origins of religion, broadly speaking. And, and there are a lot of people who are doing really interesting work around uh, work and research uh, into like, you know, the, the intersection of religion and psychedelics as well. Um, yeah, because oftentimes people are, whether it's having a feeling of oneness, having a feeling that like they themselves, like God is within them. Um, but then at the same time, you know, there are other psych there, there are certain experiences that people have, for example, with DMT, where they're reporting seeing and being around spirit, you know, entities that are mm. that they're interacting with. And so what's super interesting is like when you go back to indigenous cultures, you know, these are things that they were they've they've been dealing with, and it's like frankly part of their culture, right? Like the the shaman is often leaving their body for day like can be days at a time to go and like interact with the spirit realm and so i think that like the western side of culture is just starting to scratch the surface on this and realizing that like there's something potentially really interesting here so yeah i mean it's 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 created more openness for me in in this domain that's really wonderful. And what do you think in terms of spirituality, psychedelics, and the role that integration has? Like, Because a lot of people feel like they just speak about the experience, they speak about the thing, the next day they journal about it, and then boom, they're back into their world, right? So yeah. what is the role that of integration? What are your thoughts on that? Yeah, it's, it's so important, uh, just in, properly integrating these, these types of experiences. It's re, it, it's challenging is my gut is my initial reaction. And when I say it's challenging, like what I'm finding is that in order to really integrate uh, for me, it requires a daily practice in the mornings, mm. uh, the mornings when I'm fresh and I'm, I haven't looked at my phone. I haven't had out, you know, basically interactions with the outside world of anyone except my wife. And a daily a ritual of, uh, for me, it's journaling, it's meditating, it's reading. Like I really try to establish a daily sense of like, all right, let me remember and remind myself about like what I'm at, where I'm at, and what I believe and you know, just like basically not be influenced by what's on Twitter, what's on television, what is the unread messages in my phone, because I find that if I expose myself to that stuff, for example, too early in my day, mm -hmm. 
I lose that the, the, the integration kind of chis- is uh, diluted a little bit. And so, yeah, the short answer is it's really hard. And, you know, a part of me thinks that hmm, maybe there will be more disconnection that may be necessary. Mm, that's that's it's a, beautifully stated, man. Yeah. And, but it's also like kind of a, it's a weird thought. What makes it weird? It's like, there's like, we have like this world as we know it. And what it what um what what it implies is a disconnect is more of a disconnection from the world as we know it, and being more mindful about what aspects of the world I want to engage in, you know. And so, yeah, I think what makes it weird is like acknowledging that there may be components of the world that don't want to expose myself to. Yeah, that's perfectly stated, man, and beautifully and eloquently said. With that. Speaking about worlds, where do you see the psychedelic world in five years? Like if you had a magic wand, like paint us the picture. I'd say a few things. One is I see a world where there's less stigma associated with psychedelic use. Mm -hmm. Uh, And I think that that stigma will be prompted by more people kind of coming out with their own positive experiences that, you know, and, and, and people being not just people like you or me, but like the Tim Ferrises of the world, so to speak, in a way that like, I think just, yeah, just simply destigmatize what, what the, the use of psychedelics responsibly. I see more people having more of like a, a ritualistic kind of relationship with psychedelics. And, and basically for some people that may mean coming back to psychedelics on a yearly basis, on a quarterly basis, or from a microdosing perspective, on a uh, on a daily basis in small amounts. And so I see, I see more just like more of it being integrated into the daily lives of people in a way, it, it, but in a, in the context of being able to speak more openly about it, I see there being a more knowledge and understanding of like the breadth and the wide range of psychedelics that are both available and being developed. So mm-hmm. generally what I've seen is that like when somebody tries something like they start with psilocybin then they realize that that's a, like a, a psychedelic that they can work with. They're then open to potentially other compounds and finding the specific way in which that they can beneficially, you know, experience it. And so, um, yeah, I, I would say just like th- there being more of an openness to a, to the range of compounds. Uh, I'm really interested in MDMA because I think that MDMA has, I mean, with the work that BAPS is doing in particular. But like the feeling of openness and connection and oneness and really, again, when you think about it in the, in, in the form of, of working with it with psychotherapy, it's just like so valuable and so uh, beautiful for so many people to you know, heal. And so uh, I, I'm really curious to see, or not even curious, but I think that like MDMA and MDMA assisted therapy will be a really popular therapy modality because I think that it just, it has so much promise. And then I think the internet is going to play an interesting role in all of this for good and for bad. Tell Uh, me more about this. I think for good, because, you know, this, this conversation will be shared on the internet, right? And people's positive experiences will be shared on the internet. And I think the internet is a vehicle for word of mouth and psychedelic experiences are so impactful that as more people experience them and destigmatization decreases, you're just going to have more of the more of psychedelic experiences kind of being in the air, you know, as something that is uh, available to people for those who want to seek it out. And then the flip side of it is there can be a dark side where, you know, whether it's people having adverse experiences with psychedelics and 
And that can happen because of the wrong sentence setting. That could happen because people who maybe shouldn't be taking them to begin with because of their own, you know, predispositions to, for example, schizophrenia and having psychotic breaks, like those things do happen. And I think that like those stories will also be amplified through the internet. And I think that it's possible that people will record their entirety of their trips and share it on the internet. Like that's probably happening if you go on YouTube already. And so Mm -hmm. I think more of those stories will be like amplified. And so I think that Yeah, I think that basically there will be a place in culture where psychedelics really have a hold in a way that we kind of are getting a scratch of the surface of today, but I think it will be in a much, a much, um, a much deeper way in, in five years. Wow, that's really powerful. And let me ask you about like this adoption. Do you feel like legalization, where we will be in terms of legalization? Well, so there's there's a few pathways to psychedelic access, right? The first pathway is, um, well, you just mentioned legalization, which is just like actual, uh, like the, the US government or other governments legalizing broad psychedelic use. The second pathway is the FDA that basically approves psychedelics as medicine. And that doesn't require, you know, psilocybin to be uh, legalized. That can just be approved as medicine. And then the third pathway is like uh, local decriminalization, which also is not legalization. Anything that becomes decriminalized becomes like the lowest form of a crime that the local police are basically told not to prioritize. So in five years from now, I foresee multiple states in the United States having basically approved the use of psychedelics for some for therapeutic purposes, probably not for recreational purposes on the state level, but maybe that that is that is possible. Those states probably being more West Coast states. So we're already mm-hmm. seeing it in Oregon, but California, Washington, Canada as a country has has been pretty progressive. And then I think a few companies will uh, and or organizations like MAPS will have received approval for the from the FDA for MDMA therapy for psilocybin therapy. Uh, and so those that will be more broadly available. And then there are some countries in the world that don't really have strong laws current or don't have laws about enforcing um, psychedelic use. And so whether that's Jamaica or Portugal, uh, Portugal exactly. Amsterdam, so it, the so, yeah. Exactly. So there will be access is mm-hmm. my predict. You know, there will be access. But I think that the initial phase, uh, at least from the like investing where the world I'm in, like so much of the focus has been on the FDA pathways because when the FDA approves something, like it's kosher. Wow. What a wealth of knowledge, Greg, about that. Where can our audience find you on the interweb and on the real world? Like how can we get connected to you? Yeah, um, I'm on Twitter at Kubeans and where else I'm a, I'm a little of everywhere i don't know send me an email um, <laughs> i love emails greg at business trip.fm and i like i love meeting people i love connecting people i love building community um so you know if if you're a in- person who's interested in learning more about the stuff that i'm thinking about or working on or i can be helpful if i can be a resource the word resource has kind of uh stuck with me recently um, is that one of your reminders now like one of the be a resource yeah it, it should be it isn't yet but i'll add it to the book i'll add it to the book i'll make a ring um, there it is 
And there's so much yeah. more that it, I'm definitely going to have you back then because there's so much more that we can talk about everything from gene expression, delivery methods, you know, comp like sister compounds, like just thinking about the whole concept of psychedelics in the human body. I can only tap, can't wait to tap into that. So we'll definitely have you on for a second follow up. Yeah, for sure. I mean, and, and along those lines, I think one of the coolest things to, that to me has been so many of the applications of psychedelics, not just for uh, mental health and things like depression, anxiety, OCD, but also um, for substance use uh, disorders, for inflammation, which is linked to all sorts of diseases. It's just like there's so many different potential applications. And so, yeah, future conversation, we'll, we'll go deeper. Thanks, Greg. All right, guys, this has been Mushroom Talk. Thank you so much for tuning in. Please leave a review, a comment, share with your friends. And you guys can find us at Mushroom Talk on all the platforms, Twitter, Instagram. I don't know so much about Facebook these days, but if you're there, we'll be there as well. Thanks, guys. Have a good day.